On this episode of The Playbook, I have the CEO of one of my favorite fast food franchises, Taco Bell, Mark King. And we're going to talk about the importance of knowing what you don't know, especially when you go from one of the biggest sports companies in the world to one of the biggest franchise food companies in the world. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I am so excited. I am here at Taco Bell, one of my favorite restaurants in the world, favorite franchise, and I still look this good. This is because I am with the CEO of Taco Bell, Mark King. Welcome to The Playbook. David, it's great to be on the playbook. It's so cool because I have watched your career because you were in sports in first and one of my favorite companies that probably sponsored more golf tournaments than you even know of. And we hit you up all the time. But TaylorMade was your legacy at first. And it's so interesting that we can move from careers as I did from the phone to sports into media. You yourself really started in sales, just like me, but in the golf club industry with TaylorMade. And I'd love to understand the skills and the knowledge and the desire that you developed to become the CEO of one of the most powerful companies in America, if not the world. Well, it definitely is the world. So let's just say that, David. Uh, (laughs) And you deserve that. uh, I don't know about that. But so I I started out first job right out of college was I moved from Green Bay, Wisconsin to San Diego to be a sales rep for the TaylorMade Golf Company. Didn't have any idea what I was doing. I did. <laughs> well, they told me. I go back in Ohio and I always tell mom, no matter what you do to me the rest of my life, thank you. They told me San Diego was so cool. I didn't need air conditioning in my car, which that was a lie. Yeah, so you do need lie. air conditioning. And your house too. That's a lie. Exactly. But anyway, so I started out, I was a sales rep for almost 10 years and independent sales rep traveling around Southern California, Southern Nevada and in the state of Arizona. And I think during that time, David learned a lot about selling uh, customers, products, consumers, how it all goes together, which I think that really laid the foundation for later on, like now when you have to run a company. But it was also the most fun in my life was to be out there with customers selling products. Then in the 90s, I was a VP of sales for the TaylorMade Golf Company and learned how to manage people, manage a P&L, manage a supply chain. So that was great. And not then, quite as fun as selling. No, it was not nearly as fun. And then I became CEO in 2000 and then really learned how to lead a company. So really, I was selling products, managing uh, people, and then leading an organization. And, and it all was just a kind of a whirlwind. Then I, I spent uh, five years running the Adidas business in North America from 14 to 18. And so that was a, just an amazing career, all in sports, all with athletes, but with products, consumers. Uh, and it was just an amazing way to start my life. You know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, as you transition jobs, it was very rare that we'd switch industries. You know, I remember the first crossover when, you know, someone from GE moved over into a technology company, I think HP or wherever it was. And then, you know, these transition moves, like myself as CEO of Samsung's phone division, to be the CEO of a notable sports agency. I moved from technology to sports. Now, sports into, you know, the franchise business, the hospitality, the food business, you know, people don't realize how big Taco Bell is. It's not just serving food. What was the most challenging thing 
to cross over from a sports related, you know, long longevity of yeah. a career into being a leader of this corporation. Yeah. What was the most and biggest challenge that didn't translate over? Well, I think the biggest challenge was just gaining credibility from the employees. I mean, you're running the company, and in most companies, whoever runs it probably knows more about the company than anyone else. Well, when I came here two years ago, I knew less than anybody. So to be able to stand up in front of the employees or the franchisees and speak about where we were going to take the company, I think that was my biggest challenge was to gain some credibility. And so the way I did that really was to basically come in every day and just feel like my glass was empty. And, you know, just filling it up with as much information, uh, going around the company. We had these little things called coffee chats where I would talk to employees and I would share with them my philosophy just in general on running a company or leadership, but really look for them to give me a bunch of information. So I think the biggest challenge was really credibility. And credibility is often overlooked because if you are 100% credible, then people actually believe what you say. And it's something that I strive for. But you did start in August, if I'm correct, of 2019, which I think is actually fortunate for someone transitioning because come March of 2020, when you're six months or so into your new career, everybody, no matter if you've been at your company for, you know, David over there, TaylorMade, had to rethink his entire business. Mm -hmm. And so now you actually have the upper hand because you have been practicing rethinking this business, taking the knowledge and skills that you had from Adidas and TaylorMade over into it. How much of an advantage do you think it was because your mindset was already on the rethinking of Taco Bell? So you were six or seven months ahead of everybody else on the earth. Which was really bizarre to me. The, the industries were almost identical. They, they're, they're not as dissimilar as you think. Well, it's a lot cheaper when you work TaylorMade, everybody wants free clubs. It's a lot cheaper to give a free clubs. A lot easier to give out a taco <laughs> than it is a driver. But I mean, if you think about it, David, you have products, you have marketing, you have supply chain, you have a distribution network, you have customers, you have people. It's, it's not as dissimilar. It's not like going from Samsung and phones into media, which there, there's, there's very little the same there. So that, that, was, that was not as hard as I thought. Uh, the, the, the biggest challenge then becomes the nuance of food. Because, you know, if a driver goes bad, you buy a new one and, you know, nothing happens. If something goes bad with food, you have a real problem. So the, the quality of the product here, I think, is the biggest difference. And through the pandemic, you were very innovative. What are some of the key cultural things that you attribute to the success that you've had with these new creations uh, it, as someone has worked in all these industries, been an intelligent follower as a leader, which I respect so much because yeah. you really are an intelligent follower. That's what makes you a great leader. But what are some of the cultural things that you relied on to transcend what other people saw as huge challenges or voids during the pandemic? Well, the, the, I came to Taco Bell first and foremost because it's it was such an innovative company and they really valued innovation, creativity, whether it's how we ran drive throughs how we created products, how we did things like the hotel. And so for me, creativity is such a big deal. And we've actually created something here, here called Restless Creativity, which is really just to kind of capture the spirit of Taco Bell and be able to kind of institutionalize coming up with new 
creative ideas. I think the key during the pandemic was we engaged as many people as possible to capture their thinking, not to be stuck on the way we did things. We knew we had to be adaptable, be flexible. Uh, and so we engaged people, we over-communicated, we looked at new ideas, and we came up with just a whole bunch of new ways to move forward. One of the things that I recognize in meeting you even before the interview, Xanders wrote about this rule number six, which changed my life because I was a, a young sales rep that did very well. Thompson mer merged with us $3.4 billion in 95. All of a sudden, I found myself as a VP of sales of 7,000 sales reps in my 20s. And someone had me read Xanders and said, you need to learn rule number six. And immediately when I met you, I realized you knew rule number six, which is don't take yourself so seriously. And that seems to be from the time I walked into your biz the business here, the corporate offices, to meeting you, it seems to trickle down through everyone that, hey, we still can make a lot of money and help a lot of people here, but let's have fun in doing what we're going to do. I think the one thing that I think I specialize in, in rule number six. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I think having fun is a big part of success. I think if people get up every day and they're energized, they're excited, they wanna come into the office or jump on a team's call or whatever. And the, the business that we do is very serious because it's food and it provides a livelihood for thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. But we don't have to take ourselves personally so seriously because success in a company isn't who's on the top. It's, it's, who's, it's, it's the environment that we create and the people we attract. And when you attribute that radical humility, it really tends to create more creativity and curiosity. How important is curiosity and creativity in how you lead and how you execute on what you lead. I think the, I, I'm just so glad you brought up the word curiosity because I think organizations stall over time because they become less curious because they've had so much success. They stop being curious, which to me is what we call restless creativity. Is there new and different ways to move forward? And the answer is there has to be because the world is transforming right before our eyes. In the last 18 months, whether it's COVID, social issues in society, how the world has changed, Millennials are getting older. Gen Zs are jumping in. I mean, we just have this, this real mixed bag of cultural uh, things kind of colliding right now. And we've got to figure out a way to sift through all this stuff, figure out who we are, what we want to be. And the best way to do that is engaging as many people as possible, which we call restless creativity. And through that restless creativity, I was reading in Brooklyn, Minnesota, not Brooklyn, New York, but that's where they have the Dave Meltzer mural in Brooklyn, New York, Brooklyn, Minnesota. You have Defy, and to me, I just have to be honest, I am a fast food junkie, which I love Taco Bell. I'm not just hit, hitting up for a free taco. I got my free clubs from you years ago. <laughs> you probably didn't even know that, hung out at the kingdom. But more importantly, it seems like it's like a four lane freeway to get your food, but somebody you know, thought, no pun intended, outside the box and created this Defy. You know, talk about how you can change the entire way people have been doing drive-through. Yeah. Uh, how does that occur and what is Defy? So David, let's start with first. Defy is a, is a, 
It's a drive-through Taco Bell. It opens in the spring. It's not open yet. It opens next spring. And it's four lanes, and it's all digital. You have to order ahead. But the really cool thing is you drive in into a lane, and the kitchen is up on top of you. You have ordered ahead. The food comes down this vacuum-sealed tube, and a little um, door opens. You reach in and grab your bag, and you leave. So there's no cash. There's no people. The people are all upstairs. So it's really futuristic. It's really same what is the restaurant of the future so that's really interesting it's very cool i think it will redefine what drive-through restaurants look like i think the more interesting thing to be honest is how we got there yeah and how we got there was again this environment at taco bell that we're always looking to the future what does the future look like how do we look around the corner to see what we should be doing and in this case it was one of our franchisees uh, the angler brothers from from minneapolis they called and said hey we've got this brilliant idea we don't know if it'll work and so then we put a team together taco bell people design people engineers the anglers and it took maybe a year of working together and now we have a prototype it's in construction and i really think it'll redefine what a drive-through looks like in the future really cool but it's this process of creativity that and and looking for it, David. And I think that's where most businesses fail is that they're running their business day to day and you get so ingrained in what you do that you're not really looking out in the future. And so for me, it's a parallel path, doing the day to day business and looking into the future. And I think that's what's so great about Taco Bell. One of the other great things that you have is this balance that a lot of sales executives carry in as they become more administrative executives as COOs and CEOs. And I find a lot of executives in sales transcend into those positions very nicely because not only are they curious and creative, not only can they articulate a quantitative value better than anyone, but they actually have been trained to analyze the quantitative nature of great ideas. So I was saying, right, there's a million great ideas out there, but how are you gonna make money from it? So I'm sitting here thinking about Defy and I'd love for in the playbook to know your playbook to success on utilizing those analytic, economic, quantifiable skills that you have in order to say, hey, you know, the Angler Brothers, great idea. Uh, but I know another set of brothers that had a great idea a long time ago about fast food that didn't make any money. Somebody else that knew how to quantify it made all the money yeah. and actually branded himself the founder of that company. For you, how did you quantify knowing that this actually not only will work and it's creative and it's beautiful and cool, but it has to make money? Yeah. So I, a couple of things. I, I, think, I, I think when you create a new innovation, I think there's a couple of things. One, you've got to have an idea. And then you've got to be able to identify, is it really solving a problem? And at Taco Bell, there's parts of the day that are really busy. Lunch is really busy and dinner is really busy. And if you could increase the throughput at lunch and dinner, the economics of that unit go up exponentially. So the first thing that we're trying to solve for is how do we get more cars through during these peak hours? And the peak hours only last 90 minutes. So if you could increase the throughput, which this increases the throughput by something like four times. So when you have 159, 160 transactions during lunch, and now all of a sudden you can do three, 400 during lunch, the economics change. So now you have an idea that actually there's an economic benefit. But it all comes down to, and Dave, we, we talked about this before, can you actually execute it? Can you bring the people together? Can you build it? And can you make it happen? Because I think the one thing that people don't understand is great ideas. There's a lot of them. 
even if quantitatively they make sense, you still have to be able to execute. And that's really where a lot of ideas either succeed or fail is in the execution of it. And some of them are just common sense, right? You were talking about those throughputs of the 90-minute periods and someone who's been on the road 200 days a year who loves Taco Bell would have to admit that determinative upon the time I drive by my favorite place, Taco Bell, and say, I'm not going away. I can't afford to wait. And so just how many people are you losing beyond the throughput that would continue to be loyal customers because they just don't have the time to wait for their favorite food, uh, which is interesting. Now, growth and change uh, to finish up, obviously are extremely important right now because I don't believe in uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, because I believe uncertainty is certain. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> in fact, I tell people all the time, if you know what's going to happen tomorrow, call me. We can make billions of dollars. I'll donate mine to charity. You keep yours. But tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm dying to know. Uh, but one thing that is certain is change. And we have exponential accelerated change right now because of the pandemic yep. in every area of life. Yep. You seem to thrive in change that you're able to grow exponentially when others have failed, uh, even terminated yeah. their existence as a business. What are some of the key things that people could think about when we have accelerated or exponential change in growth? Well, you actually answered your own question. I, 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 <laughs> it's a form of genius to express it. It, it is, but, but, but David, here's, here's where I think most leaders miss. The world is changing and it's only going to change faster. It's not going to change slower. As technology comes and people are no longer inhibited by change and they they welcome change, it's coming. So as a leader, you have to understand the only way to grow is to change at the same curve as the marketplace. And I think that's a mindset, that's a cultural thing. And if you build your organization around change, around looking for new things, about speed, and you have to change at the same pace, a, a lot of industries, um, Gulf is one, Titleist is one of the best companies, and they've always been a fast follower. I think fast followers today will lose because it changes so fast, you don't have a chance to follow somebody else. So I think growth is a function of being out ahead of the curve. And I think that's a mindset and it's a cultural thing and it's getting people on board and it's fun. Last thing for a leader, you know, obviously we have to have a mindset that we can teach and empower others to have. We have to be able to execute, monetize, a plan from all that innovation uh, and inspiration and curiosity and creativity. But a lot of leaders don't think about the heart set. And we have this group of millennials uh, that go off of the way they feel. Mm-hmm. And you and I are a little bit older, so we weren't allowed to feel when we were employees. We mm-hmm. just needed to show up and shut up. Uh, and it's a different culture today that people don't necessarily care about the same things that we cared about mm-hmm. when we graduated school. Now we have to care about the heart set of our company and our employees. For you, how have you been able to learn and grow as a leader to go ahead and to apply and to empower the way that we feel? Because I found it took me a while as a leader to one, care how my employee feel, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wasn't raised that way. And then more importantly, change the way they feel to yeah. motivate and inspire them. When we started working, leaders were about themselves. They were about big, powerful, charismatic, visionary people that could see things that others couldn't and people lined up behind them and followed. And you could, as a leader, you could treat people however you wanted and and people would follow you. The world has changed and people want respect. They want a platform. They want to be engaged. They want to know they're heard. And I think our jobs as leaders is to identify how do you get the most out of your people? 
So it's not about what I want, it's about what the people want. And if you give the people what they want, you have a better chance of new creative ideas. And I think what we've lived through here, when we, when we talked about coming back to the office, we didn't get the executive team together to say, what should it look like? We got a group of people together, employees of all ranks in the organization and said, you guys create the future. What do you want to still be a part of Taco Bell, to be excited about coming back to work and to give us your best work? And we've created a new format for how we're gonna use this building, how we're gonna interact and work together that has nothing to do with what I want. It's what the people want. And if you're not willing to to adapt to that, you're not going to succeed as a, as a leader today. Taco Bell is one of the companies I created a system of daily practices of knowing your what, what you want, who, who can you help and who can help you, how are we going to get it done, what do we do now, and prioritization is a huge issue, but you can't do it unless you know your what, your who and your how, and then to apply the why instead of to yep. help people seek why. And Taco Bell absolutely is one of the case studies that I utilize to mm. show and analyze people when they say, what do you mean by what, who, how, now, and why? I said, look at Mark King and Taco Bell, which everybody should do. I want to thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. This well, I is hope David you enjoyed Meltzer this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.